0: That sound you hear, listeners, that is Jake eating his huge bag of uh, Doritos, um, and he's got another bag of chicharrones, which are fried pork skins, Mm -hmm. it's his favorite. unzip that monogrammed faux leather bible carrying case and cover pull up a chair and let's dig in all right well third sunday in lent everybody are you as excited as i am jake
1: yes indeed i feel like i've already lost weight from my fasting uh
0: (laughs) yeah you know everybody i meet is asking why are you glowing just a little bit? And, mm. um, you know, because I'm modest, I tell them it's just a trick of the light. It's these new LED dimmable bulbs I've gotten. But uh, but really, it's because of the increase in my in my holiness.
1: Yeah, the sanctification levels are at an all-time high at this moment. Woo-hoo. So, um, um, yes, well, this is exciting. And so here we are, Lent Chapter 3, or uh, the third Sunday of Lent. And uh, we are um, walking through... Um, Uh, our readings today. And I love the collect that says, keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. And really, I mean, what Lent reminds us about is not only, it's not about really the outside, but most importantly, it's about the inwardness of our souls and um, how quickly sometimes some of these uh, these these acts of piety can actually uh, be detrimental. As Luther once said, sometimes uh, the most deadly of deeds are our good deeds. Mm,
0: because they teach us to, or tempt us to trust in ourselves as opposed to
1: the Lord and uh, inf- mm. inflate the old ego, which is. Uh, That's right. Yours is pretty huge, Jake. It is. I can barely fit my head in this room. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, We're just lucky to have uh, you here. But- we, uh, we come to this place, and uh, here's a guy who's had his ego completely deflated, uh, Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And if you remember uh, X, um, Moses, uh, we remember that uh, there is a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And um, the Israelites have overpopulated the land of Goshen, and uh, there they are, and Pharaoh orders them to... Um, basically kill all the firstborns. However, uh, Moses' mother puts him in a reed basket down the river where he's picked up by uh, Pharaoh's uh, daughter and is raised by Pharaoh and then uh, finds out, just basically uh, kills an Egyptian and has to run and flee into the wilderness where he uh, runs into Jethro and winds up marrying his daughter. And so, and here they are and uh, and, uh, Moses basically comes into contact with the burning bush here. He's content on living his life in uh, with a deflated ego in the middle of the wilderness, but God comes and meets him.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so um, I think one of the first things that uh, I would hit if I were a preacher, I would mention the fact that actually it's a lot, a lot of people don't realize that uh, Moses' uh, first wife's maiden name was Tull. Uh, he married Jethro Tull's daughter. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't uh, couldn't help myself. Yeah. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Thanks for your polite laughter. Uh, yeah. So one of the things I think so it's it's going to be obviously third Sunday in Lent. People have probably already begun to buckle and crack under their Lenten resolutions. You know, this mm. is the religious version of what we did back in January. The secular version of I will be better. I will do something. Um, no, the the fact that um, uh, Moses is with Jethro, means that Moses has failed, and so if your congregation is feeling a little bit like they're not doing Lent right, or you feel like you're mm-hmm. not doing Lent right, I mean Moses is with Jethro because he's been exiled from where he grew up. Uh, he's a wanted criminal. His his pictures in the post office in uh, in uh, Alexandria and Cairo and all the big cities in Egypt and Memphis, and he's a wanted man because he committed murder. So. He has failed, and that's where he is, and that's where he meets God. So I think there's a word, a little bit of encouragement here for your congregation as you begin. Say, hey, it's Lent. Have you failed yet? Well, clearly you're in good company because Moses had as well, and Moses was then ready to meet God in this burning bush. So mm. uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I've, and it's and it's this failure that where God actually comes and meets him, mm-hmm. and uh, him as a failure is invited to take off his sandals. And to step onto holy ground. Yeah, and th- there's a word and this here. Is a very, the point of the burning bush is that fire represents judgment in the Old Testament, and this judgment is over a bush, and it is not consuming the bush. So, God's judgment is present, but it's not the all-consuming judgment. This is there's there's a moment and an act of grace here. As this uh, failure Moses is being called to ministry. Yeah, and there's actually a monastery in Egypt that is guarding on the top of a mountain. What
0: they say is the actual bush that uh, was not burned up. And it's uh, it's rosemary, actually, if you're wondering. Mm. And it's it's a huge bush now. So That's pretty amazing. I know. So think about that next time. You have a little rosemary on your focaccia. So... <laughs> uh, uh, or on your chicken yeah that's right either way it's fine or your donut Um, so the the thing that I think also you can mention here is that God sees the misery of his people uh, that God is always aware there's so many times when you feel like you're going through something and God doesn't but clearly God is aware even if it's gone on for a long time and so here he's going to appoint somebody to bring his people out of Egypt uh, to free them from oppression uh, and, uh, again, Moses is aware of the fact that he's a failure. Who am I? This should remind us of you know, a few weeks ago, uh, the calling of the prophet. You know, I'm a, Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. So this is the proper response when God calls you. And I think you've talked before, Jake, uh, One of the many things you love to rail against, you have a lot of things you just you like to, as do I. I mean, all good preachers we have are things we like to rant about. And one of the things that you've talked about before is uh, people that that sort of like being spiritual and talking about spiritual things Mm -hmm. like it's sort of marshmallows and my little pony and uh, patchouli. And here again, the response of Moses to God's call is fear. Uh, yeah, I'm not. You know, you got it. So he was told to take off his shoes because he's on holy ground. It's not this place you just waltz up into. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. You're okay. What up, God? <laughs> uh, you're my homeboy. Woo. So, but um. yeah. So he he says, "Who am I? How can I go?" And then, but God says, "Look, I'm going to be with you," which is an amazing. Again, it's one of these phrases in the Bible where it doesn't explicitly say "I love you" and "forgive you," but that's what it means when he says. Mm. I lo- I will be with you, that's that's the deal. And and God also indicates that, in whatever's going to happen, He knows the end of the story. He says this will be the sign that it's Me who sent you. Yeah. It, when you come back out of Egypt, you're going to worship God on this mountain. So He know He's going to get him. He's going to get him back there. He knows. He knows what's going to happen in the future.
1: Now Moses just can't uh, take this take this on and receive it. You know, he wants a little more from God. Can I see some ID? Yeah, can I see some idea? If I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our ancestors has sent you, they ask, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And uh, this is very significant, what's happening here, because the gods of the ancient world all had names. And um, uh, my favorite was Tim. And anyway, but no. <laughs> Dagon, <laughs> but uh, Baal. Uh, Gozer, the destroyer.
0: Nicky, but anyway. Nikki
1: <laughs> Axel so Rose. anyway, um, but um, um, the the point, Quetzalcoatl, but anyway, the point was is that... <laughs> we, we could, could go on. We could go day. on. The point was is that to know the name of a god is to have control over that god. And uh, Yahweh isn't about to do that. Right, because um, you can command is, him.
0: Like when you come home, Melina! Hmm.
1: Yep, that's right. That never happens in my house. But uh, um, anyway, but the point is, is that I am who I am. Yeah, Um, that is who he is. He's always present, always will be, always has been. And uh, this is the key. And so that's who is sending Moses. And that's who Moses is to say is in charge. You got to love how not codependent God is
0: here. Like he's totally like, I am who I am. Uh, You know, he doesn't he doesn't need to defend or explain or cajole. He just says, this, this is me. And when you go, all you have to do is say that I am the one who, who's, yeah. who
1: is. Uh, it's pretty fantastic. Um, yeah. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. And indeed, you know, this ties into John's Gospel. A lot of people want to think that John is, uh, John's Gospel is some sort of Greek philosophical text. Um, but it's not. It's actually deeply rooted in the Hebrew tradition, and, uh, and uh, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the vine, I am the door, I am the way, this is a direct reference to, um, in the Septuagint, it, this translates as ego a me, I am, who I am. And um, this this idea is what Jesus is getting across as well. Every time he says, I am something. Yeah, it's a direct
0: uh, claim of divinity. Um, mm-hmm. And that is actually one of the things when people read the New Testament. little sidebar here. I mean, sometimes people read it and say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. And it's like they're not reading it with... Jesus is more coy about it than you might expect if you've never read the New Testament, but those I am statements clearly are connecting to this passage and are yeah. a clear claim to divinity. I think the last thing we can say about God's name here is that He, God ties himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's willing to be identified with those people. That's, that's who he is. He's, I am who I am, but he's also the God of Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob, which is significant because if we know anything about these guys, they, like Moses, were no choir boys. They were not um, upstanding citizens. They were uh, men that humans who had problems and who Mm -hmm. doubted and who failed and who lied and who cheated. And uh, and yet he's the one that calls them and rescues them like he does us. So there's a lot of grace woven even into God's name Mm. and willingness to be identified with these people.
1: That's great. Well, uh, what do you think about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13? I love it.
0: All right, let's move on to the gospel. Luke 13. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, no. <laughs> the, Today is a short episode, That's everybody. right. <laughs> um, you can read it. Uh, yeah. No, so this is Paul talking about a tradition in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. He's writing to a group of, he's talking about a tradition of a rock that followed the Israelites to the desert through which they got water. It's mentioned, there is a rock that is mentioned in the Hebrew scriptures that water comes out of. It's mentioned at the beginning and at the end of their journey. It doesn't say that it follows them through the desert in the Bible. It was the tradition among the rabbis and Paul is drawing that here. If you tell your congregation that story, they will fall asleep. It is not important. I'm just giving it Mm -hmm. to you, uh, learned listener, so you might know. But um, what is important to get here. So this is one of those passages that is a little bit scary. This is this is where Paul has gone from good cop to bad cop in his writing to the Corinthian church, because the Corinthians were a hot mess. This is another thing where, where it's important to remember there's a context, and remember that Paul is a pastor who cares about his children. I always think about him as sort of a, a parent, like, you know, when, Jake, you're talking to your kids, and sometimes you're using honey, and sometimes you're using vinegar. Sometimes you're uh, mm. it, promising rewards and sometimes you are uh you know threatening that they'll be grounded or uh something like that or they'll be sent to live with their grandparents and um mm. uh or wherever so uh the thing that's going on here is that Paul wants them to not be glib about God um and he's talking about the Israelites who yes they were rescued from Egypt, they drank the water, they ate the manna, and yet they were still struck down. So, don't play with God, um, is yeah. what he's trying to say. I mean, what would you say about this, Jake?
1: Yeah, I would say exactly right. This is kind of one of those passages um, you know, very—I mean, very rarely have I ever encountered this. But um, you know, as a pastor, but occasionally, you know, sometimes someone will be like, "Well, you know, whatever—it's all about grace," and uh, and go not—that rarely happens. Though, when someone actually understands the proper distinction between the law and the gospel, and this is key, and this is kind of one of the things that Paul is doing here. Um, you know, of course, you can lay on the couch and eat grapes. All day long, if you'd like, once you understand the gospel. However, you won't. And uh, this is this is Paul's point: is is that um, um, you know there is God begins to work something in our lives, and uh, it begins to manifest itself and uh, take shape in certain ways. It's God's work, not ours. And what he is saying is, is that, and this is very true. But in in the midst of all of these amazing things that God was doing. Uh, A lot of folks didn't get it, and what Paul is saying is, is that you're not those people. Don't be the folks that don't get it. You know what I mean? And so, um, and that's a that's a that's a very heavy thing. And so, um, but um, I I really think that that's the 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 hammer that Paul is getting across. Yeah. Um, This isn't law gospel law. This is law gospel and description. Um, basically, you know, um, that uh, even in our midst, there can be folks that just don't seem to get it, and they will perish.
0: Yeah, and I think the uh, Paul is referencing uh, also the event of the golden calf. Again, he's always mm-hmm. kind of riffing on things that his audience knew he was talking about, but your modern audience may not know. When he talks about the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, he's he's talking about that time when Moses went up on the mountain to get the tablets of stone. And when he came down, they had made a golden calf and were mm-hmm. worshiping it and carousing and all that sort of stuff. And Moses also indicates that there was sexual immorality, that there was some sort of you know, gigantic orgy going on when he gets down yeah. off the mountain or something like that. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and so
1: yeah the put po- I mean the heavy thing the key is so if you think you're standing watch out that you do not fall. Yeah. You know this is this is the point. It's really easy to um, to fool yours. This is the whole point of good deeds. It fools us into independence. This is one of the reasons why I love the prayer of humble access mm. is that it always brings you right back to the place where you really belong and that's on your knees, you know. Um, we do not presume to come to this thy table O that's merciful right. Lord trusting in our own righteousness. Uh, however, what can really happen is is you think you're you think you're floating around in God's grace, but the fact is is that you're trusting in your own righteousness and uh, Paul is uh, slapping the goggles right off their face and saying don't don't be silly yeah um, you know um, the the understanding and the distinction between law and gospel um, puts you on your knees mm. and uh, you uh, can't understand how great a salvation, actually, it is until you understand how great a sinner you are. Mm-hmm. And um, and that you can even be in the midst of great miracles and still miss it.
0: And I would say, too, that great Anglican principle of scriptural interpretation, to not interpret one passage uh, to the detriment of another. Basically, you always yeah. have to consider the whole voice of scripture. So when you look at a passage like this that seems like really heavy law... And some of your listeners, if they come out of a tradition that is a very legalistic one, watch out that you do not fall. They might think, oh my gosh, I've, I have fall, I've fallen, and I'm done. Yeah. I'm toast. I'm like the Israelites in the desert. I'm going to be struck down in the wilderness. Uh, God doesn't love me anymore, and I've lost my salvation. Um, a lot of denominations and traditions do that. And I think you have to remember that we worship the same God who, when Peter asked how many times should I forgive my brother, Jesus says 70 times 7, and, uh, you know, that the the witness we have in Scripture is always God's mercy to people that seek it. And so if you've got people in your congregation that are going to read this passage and be worried about losing their salvation, if they're worried about losing their salvation, they haven't lost their salvation. Um, That's right. And so I think this is one of those texts, for me, to unpack from the pulpit would be pretty challenging. Um, it's probably one of those things that I would let speak for itself— uh and uh because it is a heavy word of law and uh and i would probably let it do its work um and then uh and then move on to the gospel so let's us do the same thing and move here to luke 13 chapter 1 through 9 Uh, and jesus gets asked a theological question um and uh uh, and uh, he also brings up um, in his answer uh, there's two historical events here. One, uh, apparently some Galileans that Pilate had killed while they were offering some sort of sacrifice. Um, and then uh, Jesus references some people that were killed, 18 people, when a tower in Siloam fell on them. And the question is, basically, did these bad things happen to these folks because they deserved it? Um, is, this, yeah. is this karma uh, God rewards the good and punishes the bad. And so they're asking, I mean, how how could, how could if you're offering a sacrifice uh, to God and you get killed while you're doing it, you must be a really bad person. That, I mean, because offering a sacrifice is supposed to be pretty good. So if you're getting killed while doing that, you must be really bad. And isn't that why Jesus and, and what what did they do that was so bad? And Jesus responds, you think they were worse sinners than other Galileans? Um he, and he basically says that everybody uh, is a sinner, uh, which I think is what, what you're preaching that Sunday, Jake. Just everybody's a sinner. <laughs> Amen.
1: Every Sunday. Um, yeah, I think that this is, you know, this uh, we have a tendency of going by what we see. And I think this is the thing to really uh, kind of hit on, is that we, we have a tendency to go by what we see. You know, we see um disheveled person. Must be, um, must be a hobo, you know what I mean? Or must not take care of himself, must not be faithful. We see, um, we see a person who's got it all together, and uh, we uh, say, oh, that person, you know, he is faithful. God must really like him, you know? And mm-hmm. that is um, to completely miss the point. And what Jesus is doing is, is he's blowing that kind of paradigm of a theology of glory right out of the water. Um, And I love that he doesn't get into, like, the facts or the—like, he doesn't get into the nitty-gritty of this, um, you know, what happened. He just says, repent unless you also perish. Um, You know, don't worry about—don't worry about those people over there. We're always so concerned with people over there. Um, But the truth is, man, um, you better repent, too, and uh, believe this gospel. Um, And so—but the point is, is that God's favor doesn't work like this. It doesn't Bad things don't happen to bad people, and good things don't happen to good people. Um, In this age, it rains on both the righteous and the unrighteous, and the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, uh, That isn't the point. The point is, is that the whole world has been called to believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is their problem, and so repent, or you also will perish. And this begins to give us the lens by which to understand this very small parable that Jesus tells at the end of uh, our Gospel reading. A man had a fig tree implanted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit, and on it found none. And you see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. This is This is a parable of Israel, you know. And let it go for one more year until I dig around and put next year well, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And uh, indeed, um, it has been cut down. And uh, now there is, um, out of that stump has come a shoot. And that one man is Jesus. And uh, we as Christians, it by, through our repentance and faith in him, are grafted onto this vine to bear fruit and bear fruit that lasts.
0: Yeah, I, I think... You know, one of the things that I would mention too to your folks in this passage or that occurs to me is kind of what does this mean in verse 3 where Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. So he's, as you said, rightly, there's not like divisions of people where there are good ones and bad ones. He's saying everybody <laughs> uh, will perish unless you repent. And this but the the problem with the language is that for some folks it sounds so re, like religious and jargony. Uh unless you repent, you will all perish. And people well, the way they hear that I think is unless you stop doing all the bad things that you're doing, you will go to hell. Mm-mm. And that's not what it means. Yeah, uh, that's not what it means. It means uh, so unless you repent meaning change your perspective change your view change who you're trusting are you trusting in yourself or are you trusting in god are you um uh it's it's much deeper than just stop chewing tobacco uh and i'm looking at you right now jake you have a huge chaw in. i mean i can it's like dribbling down your chin and uh freedom in christ that's right uh, it's not. It's it's repentance is not stop doing all those little bad things that you think God is upset with you with. I mean, it may involve and, that, but and, it's a much bigger thing.
1: Yeah, and this is Jesus's point right here is because what are they doing? Well, what were they doing that while they were sacrificing that they that God would allow Pilate to kill him? What were they doing that God would allow this tower of Siloam to fall upon them? You see, the question here that's being posed by these by these folks is. Uh, like, what were what was their works? Why was God disappointed with, you know, um, this tit-for-tat God? And this is not, and Jesus, when he says repent, he wants us to change our, he's calling us to turn around from that view of God, who operates on the scale of tit-for-tat, yeah. to the God of grace, who, uh, despite what you see around you, has called you the righteousness of God. That's right, and he says, you will perish, which again, mm. we hear
0: that as like, God, you know, mean, angry God will send you to hell unless you shape up your act. But, mm-hmm. but again, I think to, you used this phrase earlier, um, there's law, gospel, and description. So here's Jesus describing what happens to you if you live a life that is self-absorbed, if you mm-hmm. live a life that you have to get it done. You live a life where you are on the throne. You're in the center. You're the one who has to make things happy. You're the one who has to uh, do everything perfectly to make God happy. Um, That's death. That's exhausting. And so there may be an eschatological, meaning future, what happens when you die perspective in this. But he's saying you you will experience death, spiritual death, uh, a death in your life, a death in relationships if you Insist on living in this way, where, like you said, you have categories of people, and God is the one who rewards and punishes. Um, You need to repent from that, otherwise, you'll die. I mean, that there's that is, uh, if you have ever had a relationship that's based on criticism and judgment, you know that that was a relationship of death. And um, and Jesus is saying you got to get away from that kind of understanding. Uh, And because it's we, he's saying we are all sinners, and we all need to trust not in ourselves but into in God. Um, And then, you know, the last thing I would say, you know, and the truth
1: truth is, is that when you uh, the the truth is, is, and New York City is loaded with all of these people um, who have come from some sort of kind of evangelical background where, you know, um, you know, I didn't I didn't date, uh, you know, I didn't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. And, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, I didn't watch any terrible movies. I didn't do any of these bad things. And then all of a sudden, something went horribly wrong. And, you know, uh, my mom still died or, you know, this I didn't get the job that I wanted. Where were you, God? And you see this kind of whole at it, like, am I a greater sinner than those people over there? Because it didn't work out for me. Mm You know, you, 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 the question here is a fail, is, is a false question yeah. because it is a question that is ultimately rooted in works, and this is what we want, no matter how subtle, subtly. And the only um, the only way to, way to bear fruit and fruit that lasts is to be cleansed from the inside out. That's this right. is the the colic, Do you know what I mean? And uh, and to recognize, man, without the grace of God, I can do nothing you know, and um, I'm of no use. And so, um, but to uh, rest in that mercy that's already been done and to rest in the vine um, is to uh, bear fruit. Yeah. And bear fruit that lasts.
0: And that's I mean, just to tie it back to the Old Testament reading again, uh, that God is the God of Jacob the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Moses—he's the God of people who didn't have it all together. Not the good, mm. not the, not the God of the perfect evangelical Christian who got everything right. I mean, he's the God of the sinner, um, mm. and not to say that the perfect evangelical Christian—that did got. It, I mean, yes, God is your God too, but it, He's your God not because you did everything right. He's got, He's your God because He's He's God. He's I'm I am God. who I am, and He yeah. and He made you and loves you and calls you to Jesus.
1: But to recognize that. Um, that uh, I think that it is not about what we've done yeah. that either brings about good or brings about bad. That's um, right. Um, it's uh, is is really the the um, is really the hard opening experience to really understanding what a Holy Lent is all about. Yeah, and uh, and so we ask God to
0: um, uh, dig around us and fertilize us that we would produce uh, fruit. Um, again, that's not of our own straining or uh, working or, um, but that it is God's gift to us. Um, just like Moses, we're called not because we're holy or perfect, just but because God calls, because He is who He that's is. That's what He does. That yeah. is what He does. And right now, what we do is say goodbye to you, uh, faithful listeners. Uh, Jake, take it easy and uh, keep it crispy. Amen. Happy preaching. Bye bye. So-